Hello and welcome to the In the Game Room podcast. This is audio episode number four, uh, 34, I think. Um, I'm at Historicon, and you guys may remember back in February when I was at Orcon, I did a, we did about one hour bullshit session with uh, Mike and Jim, and they are here in Pennsylvania with me. Hello, guys. Hey. Hello again. So we just did, well, it's Saturday night. We're leaving tomorrow, so we're kind of done. So we did Historicon. Thoughts, yeah. ideas? Well, I had actually a really, really good time. Uh, a lot of great events, a lot of great people. Um, the hotel that the convention <laughs> was let's, in... Let's, let's go into this. <laughs> ...was not optimal. No, it's Let's just say. It was a train wreck. So Mike's been work, Mike's worked construction for like ever. Yeah. I've had some background in it. And we were sitting there when we were when I was just p- registering to pick up my badge, counting the code violations in the room we were in, and the stop work orders. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, well, and the thing, it's funny. It's funny too if you actually look online at the reviews of the hotel itself. You know, people constantly complain about how that it's been under renovation for at Edward. this point years. So. Which is handy. There's a big sign up front that says open during renovation, which is good because thank <laughs> yeah. God for that. It looks like it's about ready to be torn down. Yeah, it looks like a dumpster fire. Actually, the coolest uh, part of the entire uh, location was basically this barn area they had behind the hotel proper right in front of the golf course where they had the vendor room. Yeah. And that was actually a really nice space. I think that used to be like indoor tennis courts at one time. Oh, I see. But it's, it's nice. That was nice. And in spite of all this shit-talking the hotel, it was a great convention. Yeah. And uh, the, the aforementioned vendor room was really well supplied. A lot of great terrain and models there. Uh, a lot of really good demos. You guys played a demo in yeah, there? Yeah, we did, uh, uh, what do you call it, Disposable Heroes Disposable too. Heroes. And we got a demo from the author, and that was kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I watched them play. They were, it was Germans versus French. Uh, the Germans were assaulting a uh, French village that uh, they were defending and uh, not assaulting very successfully yeah uh, but nonetheless it was actually a very interesting variant of 28mm uh, historical World War II yeah it definitely scratches a different itch than bolt action does but uh, the nice thing is is if you play bolt action you have everything you need right yeah, yeah it's like what uh, a, a $20 soft cover $30 hard cover book and you're set 35, 45, I think. 35, 45? Like yeah. yeah but, but it was cool. It was very, very objective-driven, um, very kind of a cool way to do it. Yeah, the multiple uh, activations of a single unit, if you want, rather than activating other units, that was kind of cool. Off-board support weapons was uh, really nice. Yeah. yeah, that was weird for me. I mean, I've done off, off-board artillery before, but we had like an off-board 50 cal or a heavy machine gun. And yeah. off-board heavy mortar, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was kind of unusual, but it was fun. It was um, I'm not I'm not going to leave Bolt Action anytime soon, but I but I'll play both. I think it was they're different enough, so that was fun. Yeah, this this game was far better suited to uh, a smaller level of play, uh, and also very scenario driven. I could see that that game being very much around built around what the objectives and the scenarios are. Yeah, it, it's a very difficult game to play if you're just try, sort of trying to do a meeting engagement between two forces that's very straightforward. I don't think that would work well in that. Yeah, system. I didn't think so either. And th- and that's that's my normal style of play. Normally it's you're on that edge, I'm on this edge. We're going to go bump heads and kill each other. Yeah. That probably wouldn't work too well with this, but yeah, with a little scenario 
it, it, it's intended for a different style of play. Uh, I, I didn't play myself. My, uh, Mike and Alan played, but I, didn't, I, I was observing, and I was actually very intrigued with a lot of the rules and the ridiculously bad die rolls. <laughs> the I mean, worst ever. Oh, check out Alan's Facebook for five, five tens. Dear he, Lord. He needed ones, and he rolled five tens on five D10. It's yeah. like just zeros across the board. It's like amazing. There's other games where that would have been really great, but not this one. <laughs> no. Yeah. So that was fun. So, yeah, I learned how to play and learned how to lose at the same time. Yeah. So, well, so there yeah. we go. It was all good. <laughs> and as you guys know out there in podcast land, I, lo- I lose at everything I play, so it's all good. I don't care. So, well, that's how you learn the most. Yeah. What not to do. It's just fun. Don't run forward in the middle of an open road at a light machine gun. It's basically what we learned. <laughs> yeah, we learned a few things. <laughs> but it's all good. It's, it was a learning experience. And yeah, and I, I bought the game. Mike, you bought the game. I so, did buy the game, yes. So we're going to play it and, uh, and have fun with it, I'm sure. See, that's the biggest problem is we came out here and saw all kinds of cool stuff. And all we really ended up with is more stuff to play yeah. and more stuff to build. More, yeah, more games to play, less time to do it. But yeah, it's all good. Um, so the other game I bought, which I haven't even hardly looked at yet, is What a Tanker, and that seems to be pretty popular. And that seems to be like a really casual beer and pretzel kind of fun tank game. So I'm looking forward to checking that out. Yeah, you play an individual tank. Uh, you're not playing like mass armies. And if you've ever played World of uh, World of Tanks, yeah. it it looked a lot like a miniatures version of World of Tanks. If you had two guys, though, could you give each guy two or three tanks? I mean, probably. Yeah, probably. I, I, would, I would think so easily, but they had they had eight players. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it'd be very fairly easy. Although the, the cool thing is, though, is we actually will get a chance to play it come come uh, Gateway because it will. It's already on my schedule. Oh, okay, cool. Which is how I heard about it. Which is why I wanted to check it out here. Cool, cool. And so you guys played a big naval thing today, Harpoon. Huh? Yep, Harpoon, which is. Actually, the game that game has been around for a very long time. I originally played Harpoon uh, back in, I would say, the late 90s at a place called All-Star Games in uh, West Covina, uh, where we played a, a large engagement with uh, a couple of carriers and some uh, attendant ships, uh, and we learned the power of the Phoenix missile on an F-14. Uh, uh, no, it was it's it's a really fun game. It's very chart intensive and very um, hyper realistic. All different weapon systems and oh, electronics tech and yeah. tech levels are all very well represented. Uh, it's a high level of detail game, but very entertaining. Uh, we had a great time playing the game we were in. Uh, it was Iranians uh, 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 yes. versus uh, Saudi Arabians. Yeah, Iranians yeah, running supplies to the Yemeni rebels, and Saudis had to stop them. And the best part was in the beginning it was all hidden deployment. You were hidden amongst uh, commercial traffic in the Gulf, and uh, so it became a whole lot of you know spot them. It was great. Yeah, we sent out helos to to try to identify the enemy, and once we did, we started firing uh, harpoon missiles at each other. It it it, it was really fun. Uh, the event was run by the designers of the game. Uh, they were actually play test play testing the the latest version of it uh, that should be coming out soon. 
Um, but it's definitely something that both Mike and I are probably going to pick up. I guess that's one of the advantages of coming to a bigger event like this. You got the author of the game there, or authors or whatever, and we got our demo of uh, Disposable Heroes. We got the author. Yeah. Who yeah. We, it wasn't just some salesperson or rep well, or whatever. And not only that is what actually drew us to look for the game is they uh, have a much better or a great seminar type thing where they put on, they call it the War College, and the designers actually gave a talk today about some of, because it's, it's, it's kind of like a living rule book where they update stuff because they add all the new tech every so right. often, and he was talking about the upcoming rule changes in a big talk today, and that kind of like, oh, hey, that's like a great thing to go play. Found the game today at 2 o'clock, and well... Pfft. Well, you know, and that, that goes to illustrate what the, the challenge is to these quote-unquote modern historical games. And the fact that you know the the pace of technology goes on in the modern age, so it has to constantly be updated yeah. to make sure that it keeps up with uh, with with the tech curve. And these guys do a great job of researching these things and trying to represent them as accurately as they can. Uh, so you know we had harpoon missiles, we had Exocet missiles. The the Iranians had an Iranian knockoff of a Chinese knockoff. <laughs> yeah, and you said in their next version they're going to bring in drones and UAVs. And drones and UAVs and that yeah. kind of stuff. So it'll it'll be cutting edge tech on That's the new cool. version. So it's great. That's cool. And the guys were all super cool. Yeah, super cool, very informative. We actually it was uh, Mike, myself, and this other younger gentleman must have been like fourteen to sixteen. Super fun kid, really intelligent, bright, asked great questions was willing to play along and actually give suggestions on tactics and was it was just he was just super fun to play with um, I could tell that there was one or two people on the other side that were a little frustrated with a couple of things just because at, at the get-go things didn't really kind of go their way yeah but they were still having fun too bad <laughs> but yeah, yeah you know that, that shit happens that, I mean that's it's a fucking dice game that's what happens that's you, what you shake hands at the end you say good game everybody had a good time yeah, yeah. You know, the thing that impressed me really about that game was the, the scale of it. I mean, the physical scale. That table had to be 10 feet across and 20 feet long, probably. And the miniatures were, I don't even know what scale they were, like one six thousand. Six thousand. They were yeah. super tiny, tiny. tiny. Well, not only that, but we were all playing frigates and lower. I mean, I, I actually commanded three PT boats. Uh, two uh, uh, PGGs. Yeah, uh, the so uh, patrol boats. So you know, the, not only was the scale small, but the ships we were using were super small. Yeah, but but at the same time, though, at some you know when when I fired up the frigate's radar, you know, if it was a medium sized ship, I could theoretically spot you at 100, 300 nautical miles, which is just over ten feet. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> so that's that's cool. I like big big scales like that. And, and it's hyper realistic. So their their ranges are at least what's non classified. So let's go there. Right. Or, right. Yeah, but when you're dealing with older technology like harpoons, it's usually pretty accurate. Uh, but you know, you when, and the thing is, uh, from what I understand, uh, the game covers a vast variety of modern navies uh, for you to be able to do just about any kind of modern warfare scenario you want. Uh, so the game is very flexible in that it gives you a lot of options. It's flexible in scale too. Like yeah, we can go with one. 2400th yeah. if we want. Get bigger ships, get GHQ stuff. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's what Mike and I were thinking. We were thinking about getting some GHQ stuff because uh, I actually asked one of the game designers, does this scale up or down? 
for different uh, models. And he goes, yes, I have this spreadsheet I've prepared that adjusts everything that's salient to the, to the scale to whatever scale you want. And there was like a big Excel chart. And you basically just put the scale on in a line at the top of the chart and it automatically recalculates everything oh, to, to be what you want it to be. So, so it yeah. stays in inches. Exactly. There's so many games they say it's in inches, but if you play smaller, you use like centimeters. centimeters. I, yeah. I don't have any centimeter scales. Yeah. It's America, so, goddammit. So, so we got to do something in, in 2400. I've got two ships that I manufacture in, in 285th scale, the uh, Wasp and the Independence. I've been wanting to buy them in 2400 just to have. Mm -hmm. and now I can buy them and actually use them. Well, Mike and I will definitely be putting something together for possibly Orcon or GameX next year. Yeah, probably. probably honestly, probably Orcon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we really want to do something with that. Um, we have some ideas about what we want to do. Um, we're thinking about uh, America's defend Chinese uh, invasion of Taiwan. Uh, we were talking about uh, Korean Peninsula. And I was also sort of knocking around the idea of doing a Falklands game and doing one session with, uh, with naval, the naval engagement, doing one session, one session with Micro Armor uh, oh, okay. as sort of like a mini campaign over a couple of days. That'd be cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean... This con was just super rad in the amount of stuff that you could try and look at, and uh, you know the tables were fantastic. Uh, well, people really spending a lot of time on yeah, this terrain. Let's, let's talk about Pavlov's house. Oh my god, so that's freaking incredible! Let's, oh my god, let's go right. from one six thousand scale up to one fifty fourth scale or twenty eight millimeter. Yeah, that thing that was amazing. I've seen pictures of that kit before. I've seen pictures of it finished, but to see it in person, frankly, it actually was a little smaller than I was expecting, but it was still massive. And it was massive, and the attention to detail, yeah. and uh, the fact that all the interiors were done. Um, that whole table was killer, though. That whole table was killer. It, but uh, as a centerpiece, that thing really knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a big-ass factory on the other end of the board that's almost like you don't even notice it because of what's in the middle. Yeah, this big old brick smokestack that Yeah, cool. and, that, and that thing was impressive, too, but it was like I hardly looked at it because Pavlov's yeah. house was right in the middle. Yeah, that thing is... Uh, I was impressed with it to the point that I've ordered one. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do mine up even better than that guy did, which is gonna be a big challenge because that guy David that uh, built that really did a fine job on it. So that'll be fun. I don't know what we're gonna play it as. I mean, I I'm not a historical guy in the sense that I'm not gonna do a Stalingrad, you know, scenario. But I'm gonna plop that building down and say let's use it for something. Well, it could be anything. That's the cool thing. It's it's definitely designed to be one specific thing for one specific set piece battle. But but it's just a big apartment. It, it's block. just a big apart. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. you can use it for just about anything. Yeah, so I mean, you can use that with forty k at twenty eight millimeter. It'd still be awesome. How dare, <laughs> how dare you? I dare, sir. I dare. <laughs> yeah, you could. Yeah, you could use it for a lot of different things. I'm just saying. I mean, really, it it, it has a lot of applications. Sure, you're spending a lot of money for it, but you know, there's there's a lot of playability with that. It's and as somebody that's in the business of making stuff like that, I can tell you that it is a lot of money, and it's worth every penny. Yeah. It's definitely, there's a lot of work in that piece. And, but, that, and that guy's not going to sell a lot of them. Right. You know, he's probably sold one or two by now, and he's going to sell a third one to me, probably. That's just my best guess. You know, so he's not, he's not making a fortune. He put a lot of time into it. So it's, it's a value, I think, for the money. But I, I think that... Um after a certain point, investment in terrain is actually really important because that's what really uh, makes games pop. Uh, I, I think a lot of people don't really... When, when, 
when you're a gamer and you just go to your local game store and just sort of pull terrain off the game store shelf uh, and you're not really used to running stuff like in your garage or living room and you don't do your own terrain, it, it's one thing. But when when you really want to put something together like for a convention game or you want to have you and your friends have a game club that you know works out of one place, having a lot of really good terrain not only makes things a lot more vivid as far as uh, you becoming more involved in the narrative of the actual game, but also allows you a lot of uh, different options for tactical challenges, because uh, terrain and cover actually is an incredibly important part to most miniatures it's games. Huge, yeah. And if you don't have a lot enough terrain and, and, and cover in these things, it just turns into a really boring checkers a game of just who goes, who moves first, who gets in range, shoots a lot, wash, wrench, repeat. But when you have some maneuver and some tact to it, it really adds another dimension to the game that I really I think, enjoy. I think terrain is very important also for promoting the hobby. You know, you don't know how many people went by that table today, saw Pavlov's house, and said, tell me about this game. Yeah. You know, people that have never played a, maybe a World War II uh, yeah. Well, that, that's why it makes it so important when you're running convention games or when you're, when you're trying to... I know that a lot of people really have a lot of passionate love for the games that they love, and they love to. And when you're really passionate about something, you want to spread that. It's it, it's like a contagion, you know. And if you really want to go in there and make people pay attention to the thing that you love, those kind of things are the ones that are really going to draw people to your table and make them ask questions uh, about the game that you're playing. And I think that it's it's not only worth the investment of money, but and the investment of time. Uh, but I think that it's something that will. A, make you a better modeler, and B, make you a, just a better gamer in the fact that when you add more tactical challenges and elements to your table, you're just going to become better at playing the yeah, game. Yeah, for sure. So, what else we got on our list here? You guys played a little bit of Fate of the Nation, Fate of a Nation, that's the new Team Yankee thing. Yeah. How, how'd that go? Is, how, is, it, is it very different, or is it just... It, it seemed to be very, very similar, uh, but it, of course it used the the vehicles of the time. Yeah, I assumed it was just a, like a supplement book, but it's an entire rule book. Yeah, it was. Well, because they've, they've done that, and it, what they did is they've essentially gone through, because they had Flames of War, they have a Vietnam version, they had Fate of the Nation, they've got a couple other ones that they've done, and now they've gone through and kind of like re, redone them a little bit. It's a little more, very similar to Team Yankee. You have the cards, all the stats, which are super convenient. Uh, but it has all the stuff and has a really good feel of it. And that, again, these guys made a really fantastic looking table. Yeah, it's uh, cool. All the stuff was top notch, looked beautiful. And not only that, but the game has a lot of polish. That's what really uh, uh, strikes me about, excuse me, Team Yankee and all of its derivatives is that um, the game has a lot of depth in the rule base, but all of this information is presented to you in such an a simple fashion on those data cards and in the way that the game plays in general just because the the armor penetration is just really easy to calculate and very intuitive it's just a really fun easy game that you can throw down a couple of tanks and play a real beer and pretzel sort of game kind of easily or you can just make a larger set piece game that's a lot more challenging and and do it with the same rule set without any any real type of uh yeah, a problem it, it, whatsoever. It, it's a good set of rules that they've basically kind of applied to these games now. Because honestly, when I used to see Yankee at the con, it was super easy. Yeah. A couple, couple turns, you knew exactly what was going on, how it was all going to work. It was. Eh. You know, you start adding aircraft uh, and, and, and artillery and stuff like that, and it just fits in seamlessly because all the rules are very uniform in the way that they work. 
Although artillery templates tend to be a little funky. The thing that I really liked about the way that they did this particular game was the size of the table again. Because I that table was had to be like about eight by twelve or something. Yeah, something maybe. like that. It was oh, huge. at least. And, yeah. and I've seen people play with that many vehicles on like a four by four table, and it just looks like a fucking parking lot. It looks like a cluster F. And, yeah. Yeah. And this one looked. I mean, still things were bunched together, but that might have just been the player not spreading out. That there were the way that the, the table was set up. There was a whole bunch of trenches and stuff, and there were some choke points. And those, inside those choke points, there were objectives. So it would seem like there was a lot of cluster around an area and it wasn't really part of the game mechanic it was actually part of the objective in the scenario oh, okay. it just worked out that way but it did look good having a big ass board like that it yeah sure did. well team Mickey does because the, the, that's the big thing is there's the, uh, this the the rangers aren't right for the scale but the scale looks super cool and the models look super cool. yeah exactly yeah. it looks really really great but it, you just need space. That's why Team Yankee needs to be played in six millimeter. End of conversation. Well, exactly. Well, no, end of conversation. That's exactly why I bought a bunch of GHQ micro armor stuff from you. And I will be following the same route because I, I really like the game, but I just thought it was a little bit for the for the scale of game that I would want to play in that. I mean, you know, talking company versus company at the very uh, at the very least, or it it just. You don't even have to change the ranges. Everything just works yeah, really, really works, well yeah. in six millimeter. Everything just feels realistic. Uh, the models aren't as pretty looking on the table, but playability-wise, a well, well-painted micro armor model that still looks pretty damn good. Still pretty good, yeah. But yeah, I look forward to to, to playing some six mil. Uh, Team Yankee in the future. I'm, I think you really can probably hint, hint. probably drag me into that. Probably. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> twist, twist that arm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just want a bunch of A10s. That's <laughs> that can be arranged. Makes uh, me happy. Yeah, that's what got me into Team Yankee. You go, oh, they've got A10s. All right, yeah, carriers right. and A10s got me into that. Yeah, they're only twelve bucks each. How many do you want? <laughs> <laughs> At least a dozen. Yeah, well, we play forty k, so twelve bucks. Yeah, that's nothing. a deal. Yeah. yeah, and you guys, you guys get the special price anyways. So <laughs> it's all good. Um, um, what else? We, we played Checker 6, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Checker 6 was, that was a lot. Again, great GM. And it, we, luckily enough, we were playing with with some of the designers or people. I don't think they wrote their own books for it because we had a guy who did that for us at, at StreetCon, but uh, they were definitely designers, which is why they didn't know the rules very well. But they, the, there was there was one, a Las Vegas uh, gamers club that played that game a lot. That was uh, a major part. Of it was it. so much fun. It was super fun. It was American bombers heading into Tokyo, two uh, days after uh, Nagasaki. Yeah, and uh, we were in a bunch of zeros, basically intercepting uh, the bombers, and they had some uh, Mustangs doing cap. Uh, and so we go in, and you know, we start putting some holes in some planes, and then all of a sudden Rodan shows up. <laughs> and, then, and, and then Mothra. And then Mothra. That was pretty awesome. And it was actually really cool. They had models for both of those things. And the thing is, they really didn't attack our planes, but the their wing buffet as they passed our planes <laughs> yeah. would cause damage and throw us off course. So it was just a neat... It, it was like adding a, a, a weather element yeah. to the game instead it was, of yeah. an, an, it, an it extra was combat. Cool. And yeah. it, it, took the, it took the hardcore serious edge off the game and just made it more fun. Exactly. It, it, made, it made it a fun, entertaining sort of like lark. And it's probably going to piss off some real historical nuts and, you know, uh, rivet counters. But Yeah, but yeah, but we had a nice long play at the game with rules. It was bombers and fighters and all the rules. And then towards the very end, 
all the weirdness happened. So, yeah, silly. so you get both. Because honestly, yeah. and that was great because everybody was still having fun. Now we just have different fun. We had five turns of straight up check oh, your sticks. More than that. Yeah, the, oh, yeah, it was a lot more than yeah. that. The little beasties probably came in just about the time some people were starting to get a little like, oh, we've been doing this for two hours now. You know. Well, after watching that one bomber guy basically get his ass handed to him the first few turns and then be completely untouchable. Weren't you, like, constantly trying to ram one of the bombers? Yeah, well, yeah. I, I was in a damaged plane with no ammunition in a Japanese plane. Of course I was trying to ram them. I couldn't hit them, but I damned if I didn't try. God damn you, Mikey Bjorn. You know, failure is a kamikaze. <laughs> Veteran kamikaze. Veteran kamikaze, Veteran, probably, yeah. Chicken teriyaki. T- took about uh, six runs at it. Yeah, uh, what else? Oh, we also played War Gods was the first game we played. War Gods of Olympus. Yeah, War the, Gods the Olympus of Olympus version of it, which yeah, is, I Amazons guess, versus Spartans. I guess coming out soon, because honestly, if you haven't seen it, the War Gods rules are, are, are pretty cool, and they've got multiple worlds of it. Um, Crocodile Games puts it out. The Egyptus was the first one. Olympus has been coming out slowly over the years, and I was actually really impressed with the model quality of the Spartans. Oh, the Spartans were really, amazing. really amazing. So, uh, and what a tough army, man! Oh, if they, if they had when they had phalanx formation, their save was ridiculous, and it was very hard to hurt them. Uh, although our archers, just out of just sheer weight of fire, did a pretty good job. Uh, and, and, and the activation in that game was pretty cool too. Yeah, because it's a little more tactical because it's. You know, it's an I go, you go as far as the activation, but on my activation, I can activate one of your units. Yeah, when you get when you get the right to activate, you can activate any unit on the table, whether it's yours or theirs. Uh, oh, so, and, and you lay orders first. And you lay orders first, exactly. So there's so there are these little chits that basically have a logo at one side, and then the other side actually has an order. So you put those next to each unit. So this is what their orders are so uh, one of the cool things was is that uh, we had a unit charge one of our units uh, and we had a, a char- declared a charge as well so what ended up happening is that both units charged so we charged as a reaction and met in the middle of the field so everybody got charge bonuses so it was basically people yelling at each other running at each other in the middle of the field you didn't even see it happening and then poking at each other with pointy sticks <laughs> yeah fun little game yeah, cool. and that was really fun. Oh, we played some really neat people. I think I um, napped during that one. Yeah, you were napping. Yeah, I was napping. You did a lot of napping. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't do a lot of napping. <laughs> I, I didn't do a lot of napping at night, so I had to do some during the day. But it's all good. Yeah. Um, uh, poor Alan's all screwed up. Three-hour time difference. He's not a morning person anyway. Not a morning person. And, and here we are. We're dragging him to IHOP at 7 in the morning, which is a whole other story. <laughs> That's a whole other story <laughs> about oh a restaurant God. with too many people in it and too few servers. But it's all <laughs> Too good. few competent servers. Yeah. They, were, <laughs> they, they put in an effort, but, uh, yeah. but failed, ultimately. <laughs> but, no. We, actually, there were some games 9 o'clock today that we wanted to go in that we didn't make it to because they took inordinately long at the IHOP. Yeah, that's when we went over and played uh, the dis- Disposable, disposable Heroes. Yeah. Heroes. Disposable it worked Heroes. out in our favor because, honestly, we did that, and then, then we were ready for that earlier session for uh, you know, the, the, the Harpoon, and, honestly, we got to see... Pavlots, you know, we got to see. The nice thing is, is, you can walk around and go, "Hey, that looks cool. What is that?" And that's everywhere you go. I mean, I went into the Hawks room, which is, I think, the Hartford area wargamer people, and that's a club room. Everything in there was their stuff, and they had, you know, they had a really neat game there that was the the table was a bunch of walled sections like rooms, and they they took a lot of the. Uh, 
the uh, action figures, like the actual action figure scale aliens and a bunch of like GI, like GI Joe type action figures for for and that did an aliens encounter inside this with these large scale action figure models, and the game just looked really really fun hmm. and beer and and sort of like just just a, a lark and and a fanciful little fun thing. It was just looked neat. Everybody looked like they were having such a good time. The table looked great. And I walked right past it because it's the only place here at Con that I knew of that they actually played Force on Force, which is one of my favorites. <laughs> and uh, the Force on Force game. No, which which game were you talking about today that you saw that you were thinking about playing but then it wasn't even being run properly? That was the Force on Force. That was the Force on Force. Yeah, well it wasn't it just it just was very contentious and there wasn't a lot of there was a lot of confusion. Force on Force is a very different style of game anyway. And so you need to really, you need a strong person to control it because if you don't, they kept hanging up as, because Force on Force, all of one side goes, but the way it works is you have to declare everything you're doing before you actually do it because anybody who sees you can try to react. And the thing is, if somebody reacts to you and somebody else on your side sees them, they can theoretically react to them and you can stop this whole chain of events. Well, if, if you're not paying attention, you end up with, People have already rolled off on their reactions, and people are like, well, well, hang on a minute. I want to react, too. And there was a lot of that. It was just a lot of confusion. So the, um, but then again, it really makes you want to go play Force on Force again, which means you need and, to buy more buildings from Allen. And do it right. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's that. Yeah. But that is a very interesting game in the way that, that activations work and the fact that unit quality is so incredibly important uh, to being able to do things effectively. Um, but it... it I, I played that a few times with Mike, and there's a lot of... It's sort of like a domino effect when you do something in the right situation where you just... This one action goes off, and then this entire other series of actions just sets off of that one activation just because people react to that, and then other people react to that reaction, yada, 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 yada. It's, it's, it's actually a very interesting uh, game to play. Well, shout-out to Sean and Peggy Carpenter... They make that game, and uh, maybe we're going to run that at one of the upcoming cons. That'll be fun. Um, I've been trying to mic- talk Mike into running Force on Force more. <laughs> yes, day. and so is Adam, and so a bunch of people. And so yes, I, I, my, my plan is to do it at Gateway, which is in September. So if you want to come try it out, come find me. I'll be there. Yes. Hey, I lent you my wife for your department so she could run it for you so you can play games. And yeah. to be fair, <laughs> I can't. And I will. <laughs> Actually, we've got a pretty good... The best part is, is we're sitting at dinner tonight after this con here discussing all the stuff we're going to do for for, 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 for for Gateway. You know, because Adam's going to... Because Jim and I are tr- pushing Adam to run his Israeli Wars uh, game using his Fistful of Toes 3, which I also... Another rule book that I have. Um, and so he's going to do that probably Friday. And then, of course, Saturday's free, so I'm probably going to do Force on Force. And then Adam... Or Alan's talking about doing... Uh, bolt action probably Sunday. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, speaking of you guys and Adam and everybody, something I talked about on the last podcast, I think it was yesterday or the day before, I talked a little bit about what a difference it makes to come here with people from your local gaming group. I mean, there's five of us in the tight knit group, and then I saw a couple of people that I recognize from LA, mm-hmm. but I don't know them. But it was just, it was so cool to have these people that you know that I know to hang out with the whole time so I was, I was mentioning today about how sometimes when I travel out of state to a convention um, you know by Saturday I'm, I'm ready to go home 
<laughs> yeah, you've seen everything you want to see. Yeah, you've yeah. talked to everyone you talk to. I've you want to talk to, to the people done. I need to talk to. I've handed out cards. I've shaken hands and spent all the money. Spent all the money, and, and I've done everything I'm going to do. And it's like, okay, I'm done with this. But now it's like I could use an extra day or two. You know, well, the, yeah, it's been the, fun. Well, you know, when you go by yourself, it's sort of like a business trip, it's isn't a, it? It's work. Yeah, yeah, it's work. It's work. And here, it's just straight up entertainment. Yeah. Because I didn't get any work done. I hope people back home aren't listening. <laughs> <laughs> I handed out a few cards, handed out some of our cool dice with our logo on it, and, you know, and shook a few hands and stuff like that, but not like I normally do. I wasn't pushing, you know. But, yeah, but the thing is, you were recognized here. Uh, People knew you, and they, they said they bought your stuff, and you actually went to the flea market, and some of your assembled uh, train was there for sale. <laughs> I'm practically royalty in this industry. In my mind, in your <laughs> hey, it's got to start somewhere. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. but you know, it, it, it's good to know that that people are recognizing your work and, and utilizing your uh, your products. You know, and, and coming out to here, it's got to make you feel really good. That it really does. It's it's gratifying. You know, so the stuff goes out the door, and I never see it again usually. But it's nice to come here, come to any con, and say, hey, that's mine. That's mine. I, I did that. You know, I, I I personally envy the fact that you can. Uh, rest your head on the fact that there are a whole bunch of people out there enjoying. getting so much enjoyment out of your product and, 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 and it's bringing so much joy and people together and one of the great things about gaming is that it brings people together so you know having people around you that that are part of that, that are friends of yours people that you know the people that you game with it changes the experience completely because then it becomes more of a social uh, construct in that you know you're, you're, you're there not only to represent GC Mini, but to enjoy yourself as a person and as a gamer, yeah, yeah. you know? And, and you gotta do that or else you're gonna burn yourself out. But back to the point of, you know, going out with your buddies gaming and stuff, we, we do this thing once a month where we try to get together and, you know, play games and stuff back home. Yeah, and the Spoon Events, the sp or Society for the Preservation of Odd Old Nerds. That's one. Yeah. <laughs> that's really cool. And be, you know, because of especially because of where I live, where I live, that's my like w once a month escape. To escape to my friends, not yeah. from my friends. It's like that's when I get to you know go out and socialize. And then I put on my magnifying glasses, grab a paintbrush, and I put my head down for four hours and never talk to anybody. But at least I'm there with people that I care about. You know what? I I find that I'm so much more productive when it comes to painting when I'm doing it with a group of people than when I'm trying to do it by myself. Oh, modeling in general is is, is a peer pressure driven thing. <laughs> yeah. It's it's so like you know what, that, and that's what it is. That's what I realized by going over to my friends' houses to do this stuff. It's if one of you is painting, it makes all of you want to paint yeah. or assemble or something along those lines to where, man, he's being productive, I can be productive. And the nice thing is, is if you're doing that and you have your friends there you can talk to or whatever, it removes a lot of the sources of distraction that you possibly yeah. have. I mean, that was like going, going to Tim's house, we'd put on Netflix and it would just be out of the background and you'd chat with each other, you know, and you do stuff. And the other day, Before all of a sudden, it's like day, you got an entire freaking squad completely painted and based, and you don't even know how you did it. But it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I got all that stuff put together today. All this stuff is primed now. And all this stuff is base coated, and it was just like, you know, and you, and you got stuff done. You chatted. You had a good time. You got to watch some, all of Bob's Burgers, which is going to happen. Some you know, archer, some good food usually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and the nice thing about the spoon thing is, is it's a little bit of all of that. I mean, I, I've gone there and assembled. Uh, Alan usually shows up and assembles and or paints. Yep. Um, John has done stuff there. We've had a lot of guys come in and paint their board game pieces. 
Um, and I ran last a role-playing time, game last time? Last time we played Conan. Yeah. You know, Alan, Alan painted. Uh, some of the guys that run the Cool Moon Rat stuff at my con, they were painting their stuff. We were playing Conan. And it was just, and everybody had a good time. And we had the, the food and the beer. John and, made a great goulash. We were all happy. Yeah, yeah it was a good time. Good time. Uh, good there time. was no country music. I was happy. <laughs> so yeah, it's all good. Um, anything else? We're over a half hour already. It's probably I don't know, man. This was just a, an amazing con uh, with a bunch of really great people. Got to do it next a bunch year. Really good games. Yeah. Got to do it I next mean, year. Yes, and Historicon next year will be in a different location. So there's that. Yes. Uh, also a benefit. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I think I've gotten down to the point where I think I'm going to limit my out of state cons to probably like two or three. It'll be this one, Adepticon. And maybe some other. I'm not sure. But I think I'm done with Gen Con for a while. That's for sure. I'm not going this year. I'm done with a couple for a while. You know, I've heard that from so many people that are just done with Gen Con. Well, but so many people. I, but I think Gen Con is the game equivalent of, of, of Comic Con now where, I mean, look, everybody I know wants to go to Gen Con because that's where all the producers or all the manufacturers are. They've all got some kind of great deal and or something cool. New release or limited edition. Yeah, exclu- yeah, exactly. There's a reason to go there and see the new stuff and buy stuff there and spend money there, and that's fine. But at the same time, I don't know. I like going to, like, this is weird for me because this is only the second convention that I've been to in a lot of years where it's I'm not running stuff I'm not in charge of anything so I just sat yeah. down and played games yeah I spent a little money in the dealer room that's a cool place to go when you're killing time in between but I sat down and I played oh what we got eight eight or nine different games or sat in and watched and discussed other stuff like that right, right. which is yeah. really kind of nice well, the thing is the point of view of all three of us is that you know conventions and gaming a lot is is tied into things that we do as work you know, they're a source of responsibility for all three of us in one way, shape, or form. Oh, yeah. well, and it's really nice in... to be able to release that responsibility and just play. And yeah, just when be we're kids. back in L.A., you guys are working all day. I'm in the dealer room working all, all day. All day. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, it's a job. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 but Gen Con is not about, I mean, they have play space, but that's not what it's about. Right. Yeah. That's not people don't go there to play the game. It's kinda like a trade show slash it's, game it's convention. A trade, right. It's a trade show, yeah. So I'm not saying it's not bad, but I'm not gonna go it, the thing is if I want to sit down and play a game, I'm not gonna go there. And my first time going to Gen Con was amazing. It was just, it's just this whole sensory experience. It just overwhelms you. But then the next two times after that it got progressively less exciting. And you know, the third time the third time I went, I went three years in a row. Third time I went I was just like, yeah, I think I'm over this. I think I'm over it. Well, because you go, because, but that's the thing, though, is how many people, you know, and I'm asking this kind of rhetorically to the, the podcast verse, how many people do you know who, uh, if they're going to Gen Con, are going to pick up all of your stuff for you and all your other friends, too? And that's what it becomes. It becomes a shopping trip. Yeah, it's yeah. a shopping trip. And because yeah. that's what it was for me. My, I got a buddy of mine who ran, uh, Al runs, I think still does run, like, the kids area thing. Yeah. And that's what it is. is I don't have to go to Gen Con because anything I want to buy... I PayPal Al the money and it shows up when he flies home. Yep. Yep. Mm. But that said, I, I want to go to Kingdom Con now and I want to go to these other places and you know, there's this, there's the West Coast. We're in October. There's the historical miniatures gaming, the HMGS Con that 
We went to last year. It was a lot of fun because, it was, again, it's, you get to sit down and play a game. I want to do an international show. I want to go to, like, uh, Salute or something, something in England. Oh, that'd be great. That would be really That cool. would be cool. Actually, yeah. the, the, the problem the, with... The, the, there's a Forge World uh, event that goes on in England that's freaking amazing. Every time I see film coming out of that, it's just awesome. Just the, just the scenery and the terrain and the games that they play there are just really cool. The problem I have with the, with the British or the English, the UK conventions is that... There's there's a convention every weekend somewhere in the UK. Yes, that seems and, to be yeah. And therefore, they're usually one day events. Hmm. So I mean, even Salute, which is huge, it's a huge. That's a huge shopping spree right there. You just go in there and buy shit all day. And there, I think there's very little gaming at all. But all the manufacturers are there. But it's a one day thing. Get in, get out. And that's a long way to go for a one day con. Well, you're. St- Still in England, yeah, yeah. and there's plenty of fun things yeah, to do there. Well, so, yeah, that's because how, how many manufacturers like Warlord, Mantic, and the whatever basically have their own place, you know, attached to their studios, whatever it is, yeah. where you can go in there. Yeah, they're, all, they're all in Nottingham. Yeah, exactly, yeah. which is honestly, it sounds like a great place to go spend a week there. I just, just spend a week there just, just to go to the pub slash game stores that they have over there. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Well, but, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Because honestly, the only, the only other game store with a bar that I know of is in Portland. Shout out to Guardian Games. What? I, I, you know what? I think that's a business model that should be reanalyzed in this country because I think that's something that could really make game stores people. that are fun. Yeah, game stores well, that are adult oriented. Well, fun. yeah, because because I mean, look, I've got four or five historical guys. They do historical stuff, and some of them are members of the HMGS, and they play. I don't know, five six miles from my house in Upland, California, all the time, at least once a month. And they play there. They don't go to a local store. They, and that's just because, you know what, they can go there, they can get all their food, their beer, they can hang out, they have a good time. If, if, if a local game store had that more adult-oriented thing, you know, it would be that much more to get a beer while you're playing a game with all your friends. And Because I think, I think that's probably one of the, I don't want to say failing, but it's one of the things that, especially with the Pacific Southwest, HMGS, we really need to work on is the visibility of it. Because it's cool, and the people are generally very cool, and the games are a lot of fun, but if there's five of us playing in a garage, that's cool for us. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily bring more people into it unless they have to be walking by on the sidewalk. So, you know. If you want to have a beer with your game at a game store, they got to close the store and make it a private... Thing. Well, the thing about it is it, it depends on, on what you're interested in. If you're interested in just playing your game with only your friends and doing and doing the same thing over and over again and you enjoy it, that's fine. If you love your hobby and you want to bring more people into it, there are proactive ways of doing that and sharing your passion with other people. And, and a convention space is one of the primary places you can do that. I, I, you know... How many rule books do you own, Mike? You own like hundreds. All of them. <laughs> and and that just comes from the fact that he goes all over the Western United States, goes to all these different game stores, uh, uh, interacts with all the people at our convention, uh, comes out to places like this, like Historicon. I mean, uh, there, he has such a broad foundation of uh, of gamer knowledge that. You know, he's he's sort of the authority of games that I go to. It's like, have you heard of this miniatures game? And odds are, he has in whatever scale or whatever genre. He just has. Yeah, well, I, you know, it was one thing I like to do is 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 because I do because I noticed that in Cali- uh, especially in California, um, that that every store becomes its own community anyway. You need that to for a store to survive, and that's understandable and that's cool, and I get that. But then what develops 
organically in that community as the games of choice amongst those people varies wildly, even in stores that are relatively close to each other. And I've seen this. But do you end up with, like, this is the 40K store, this is the bolt-action store, this I, is the war machine store? It's usually yeah. more than one game, but, yeah, there is there is a, a certain degree of that because especially, like, like, you go to... So in Sacramento, okay, there's three or four fairly cool game stores. They're one of the best ones. I, I forget the name at the top of my head. Um, but huge play space, lots of space. And, like, in Northern California, as far as I know, that's the place where Malifaux still gets played. Okay. You know, and it, but but the falling there is the last time I was there was fairly large, but that was the one place. Everybody else like Black Diamond and they've blown it out and it's not really a thing there anymore. But there, huge, 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 or at least it was. And you know, and I'm gonna and I go into these stores and I, you know, that's one of the things I ask: What do people play here? What's what's the thing? You know, because right. you find the places where it's like you know, every game store will get something on the shelves, but whether it leaves or not. It gets sold or not is a whole different story because some places are, you know, Sales of Glory is a game in some stores. It's a fairly popular game. In other places, it's on the 50% rack. It's like, just get it out the door. Well, yeah, it also depends. There's usually, like, uh, a group of three or four guys just about in every game store that are really sort of like the central social core of, of each game store, and they sort of, whatever they sort of gravitate towards... They sort it has of a like, huge influence. Has a yeah. huge influence. It yeah. swings the needle quite a bit because that's the thing too. Is you know, look at Imperial Outpost Games, which is northern Phoenix area. Yeah, that place um, is cool. That place is really cool, and it's the one place I know that on a Wednesday night, I think it's Wednesday night, I can go see Dust. They love that they bring they play Dust there all the time. Huge games of it all the time. You know, and there's a big game room at this convention. I want to be. I, I, I want to be at that. They, store. they did do Dust here. Yeah, I'll be at that store next Monday. Shout out to Imperial Outpost. Yeah, it's a good, that, that's a great store too because they I mean and the, and the thing is it's nice because they stock, you know, a, a decent amount of stuff. Yeah, a wide variety and a decent amount of each. Some some stores get very thin. You know, if they got bolt action, they might have five or six boxes. Yeah, this guy's got you know a quarter of a wall. He's got a big huge chunk of it. Yeah, and then he's got his warhammer and you know and all this other stuff. But I, I can't I can't stress this enough to every single gamer I ever meet. Uh, if there's a place you go to that provides you space to play, buy your shit through them, please. Yeah. And keep them open. There's a there's a shop in, in Riverside, uh, GM... GMI. GMI. Yep. I've been there a couple of times and played. And, you know, I'm a dealer. I can get anything I want at wholesale. But when I go in that store, I have to buy something. Yeah. I can't just use this table. I've gone in there and said, do you rent table space? He goes, no, no, no. We just like, you know, if you're going to buy something, you know, that's cool. No, rabbit cats that are cool. They're like, just, yeah, just whatever's open yeah, yours. Whatever's open. And I yeah. feel bad. I'm like, I want to give you some money because I'm here taking up oxygen in your store. So, I mean, I'll buy a couple of sodas and things like that or a bottle of paint. Well, just like just something. Guildhouse in, in, in Bellflower, Long Beach area, great little store, lots of really good space. We like to go there a lot of times just either hobby or uh, play a miniatures game. A lot of times when we play our Mech Warrior games, because we do a lot of the Alpha Strike miniatures as part of the role-playing game, we go over there and play. Or a lot of Dresden Files. Or a lot of Dresden Files. <laughs> uh, uh, but I personally have a rule that every time I walk into that store, and if I actually use their space to play... You I'm buy gonna, something. I'm going to spend $5 per hour I spend, I spend there. That's a good rule. Done. Minimum. Minimum, Minimum. yeah. I'm going to spend $5. If I'm there for four hours, I'm at least buying $20, uh, $20 worth of product. Oh, I know. I went, who would I go to play for? I was, we meet there to get my first shot at 40K 8th edition. It was like, oh, shit, I don't have, didn't have a tape measure, so I bought two. All right, I'm one for me, one for you. All right, you know what I need? They had a couple of cool things I got, and just needed to do it, you know? Like, I just buy the stuff, support them. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're not my local store, but they're nice enough to basically not 
I, I walked in, they go here. Play, play, and one of the good. brilliant things that they do too is that, you know, because it's, it's hard for a lot of these game stores to keep a lot of things on the shelf. Because that in- inventory that stays there stays there too long becomes basically a detriment to 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 their profits. Oh, a so, game store can easily have a hundred thousand dollars on the shelf. On the shelf all the time. I mean, there's a place called Game Castle out in uh, in Orange County was. that that was in Orange County. Now that uh, the Dice House took. Uh, they moved over and pared down the same kind of owners or something like that? Uh, I think it was a lot of the guys who used to work at Game Castle became Dice House, and their seed was a bunch of the stock from Game Castle when they closed. Yeah. I think. Something along those lines. Something along the lines. And, but the thing is, we'd walk into Game Castle, and this is the place that I called, this is where games go to die. Because uh, it was 2001, and I walked in there and bought all the stuff for Star Frontiers that I didn't buy in the '80s because it was still on their shelves. Yeah, yeah, and then, you know, and that's yeah, that's. Well, but at the same time, if you're looking for something old, your local game store might actually have it. But yeah, your game store is the but, warehouse. But more to the point, what what uh, the uh, Guildhouse does is that they offer a pretty good discount if you're willing to wait a few days to get your product. Yeah, because they will order anything you want, and if it's not on their shelves, they'll just give you fifteen percent off the order. Just, period. Just I think just for waiting. Yeah, I think I think the realm which is in Brea is it, there's a lot of stores that are the same thing, and that's the thing. It's like, look, if we just order for you, yeah, we'll give we'll give you a discount. And I mean, yeah, you know, the thing is, though, is it's nice because it's really no skin off their nose. They're still making some money off of it. They didn't put money out beforehand to let it sit on a shelf. You know, well, that's and they're catering catering to their customers' needs the best the way they can. You yeah, know, that's basically free money to them because that's a sale they wouldn't normally got because they don't have it. Exactly, and it's their benefit. And to tell you the truth, if it wasn't for the fact that I used their game space, I would just order it on Amazon because it sort of t- turns into a wash. Because I'm a Prime member, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. I'll still get get it for fifteen to twenty percent off if I look at the right place anyway. But the simple fact of the matter is those those people need to eat. they keep need to keep their their business open. And if you want a cool place to play and meet new people that game and or, or just check out new product. Please keep these places open, man. Yeah, They're your bread and butter. Business. It's a hard business to make money in. And Very I'm probably, hard. I'm probably one of the few online retailers that'll tell you, support your local store, damn it, because yeah. we need those out there because they're important to the hobby. I, I can't make any money selling online if there aren't gamers, and it's the stores and the conventions that make and, gamers. And you're not going to find anybody to play unless you go find new people to get into the hobby. You know, you know it's just becoming, since I've become involved with the convention, especially with the miniatures area, a, a big part of my mental focus has been the next generation of people. Oh, well, yeah. Because we, we were all like that once. We used to have a store that we went to that was very inviting, very... You know, they walk you through a lot of stuff, and they were really cool about it. You know, and then I went to this convention; it was the same thing. And I've noticed, you know, we do have like the paint take area, which we target to anybody who wants to learn how to paint, but primarily at kids. This is the gateway. You grab something looks cool, you paint it looks cool, goes goes in the cabinet. You know, we we we, we judge it, whatever. But at the same time, you know, it's like now, cool. This this is now you got your thing. Now here's what we would use it for. These are these games and. The nice thing is, is if you go to a place like that where you see the range of stuff that's available to you, that's what you're gonna you're gonna find you're gonna find something you like. Well, one of the big points that when I came out of the convention was we got to look towards the future. We got to make sure that we cultivate our next generation of attendees. Yeah, replace the dying guys. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, and the, one of the comments that I made when I came to Historicon, and no insult to Historicon in any way, 
but the de- just the demographic of people that you see there was very was very similar to our demographic like twenty years ago at at Strategicon or t- no ten years ago. Ten, it's probably ten years. Ten years ago, where it's basically all older white guys, well, and yeah, that's pretty much all you see. Strategicon is an old man's club. It's an old man's club, and well, HMGS is kind of an old man's club. That's what I meant to say. Actually, they, they have a lot of problems trying to bring in uh, uh, younger, fresher people, but. You know, hopefully they'll overcome that. But one of the things yeah, that I love about Strategicon is the fact that you walk into any one of those rooms, kids, yeah, women, exactly. uh, you know, it, it, it's just about any type of person that you can think of is there playing and something. And it's getting better all the time. Yeah. It, whatever it's been six years or so that I've been a vendor there, every time I sit there all day and watch people walk by, it, it's more and more becoming younger people, mm-hmm. females, and uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I think the biggest thing is the, is the scope. I mean, Historicon being an HMGS convention, you know, if you look at the, if you look at their their schedule or their event schedule, it's eighty percent historical stuff. Historical. Okay, with a little bit of some fantasy, a little bit of some sci-fi. I mean, because there was forty k here, they kind of do a necromunda around the clock. Oh, they had this really cool uh, thing where it was basically just knights and large tanks and this yep. big set piece. Oh, it was actually really cool. Uh, there was uh, a really cool Helm's Deep uh, yep. sort of uh, Lord of the Rings game being played. There was a constant uh, Iron Wind, I think, sponsored it, but it was a constant Battletech game. Dust as well. Yeah, Dust uh, was here. You know, so, so I mean, there's, there, it's not just historical, but we're talking a vast majority of it's going to be. Historical to a to a degree, whereas Strategicon. It's in the name. It is. It is the name. Where Strategicon is is so broad. It's literally. It's. Do you have a game? We have a table for you. We don't care what it is. But I think the question is, and I want to ask you guys this question because I'm curious what your opinion is on it. Is that do you think that historical gaming is just dying off, and that that in 20 years, when you know a lot of us are are in our 40s to 60s, are either not going to play anymore or just passing off. Is that going to be the end of historical war game? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Because, because I mean, I was a gamer for well over almost I don't know, fifteen years at least before I even approached historical gaming. And then it was like, oh, this is really cool. Now, I mean, and, and I think that's the thing is it's it's just a narrow focus. It's there will be people who the historical portion of it is the draw, and they're gonna want to get into it. So I think as as long as it's visible, which it is here, obviously, you know whether it's here, or Cold Wars, or Enfilade in the Northwest, or whatever, it's going to be visible. There's going to be people who are drawn to it, and that's gonna be like, whether it's their thing exclusively or not immaterial. There are people who who will go to it. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna go away. I think that there are some people that are doing some very clever things. Uh, I, uh, I mean, bolt action is bolt action, but there's another version of bolt action that has a sci-fi bend. There's also a modern version. There's like yeah. A, yeah. Uh, so you know, with like Tesla coil cannons and oh, all yeah, that K-47 stuff. K forty seven. Yeah. So you know it, that could be or, easily yeah turn or, into a gateway drug for somebody yeah, that, that comes from a sci-fi. That could bring somebody into historical. Exactly, because that's sort of what happened to me. Really, I was only interested in the sci-fi stuff. I my first game I played was Epic. 40k. I love that game because I like larger scale games, which is why I enjoyed Harpoon so much and that kind of thing. Uh, but that game brought me into 40k, and I started playing those games. And now I'm playing a lot more historicals just because I got older, and I think that 
you know that that kind of game piqued my interest because it was a little bit different, and I got into that into the historical narrative. Mm -hmm. And I feel that a lot of these younger generation of people that are playing 40k or playing Necromunda or playing like these more modern games, as they get older, their minds will open more to these sort of historical games. So, is it basically the case that? It's just an age range that will that will automatically attract historical also, games, or is it? Are we ever going to really have a situation where we're really going to have young people playing these games at a young age? Well, does the does the definition of, of historical change over time? Like in twenty years, will the Gulf Wars be historical? Absolutely. Or, or are they now? I mean, they practically are now. Yeah, I mean, I, now, yeah. I mean, when when you when yeah. you already when you already high school for me. Yeah, that was well over twenty years ago. No, I mean that—that's the thing. It's an entire generation has come up. The people that have basically been from infancy to adulthood during that time period it is now historical. Well, well okay. Well, look at look at what got like, Tim and myself and Jim to a less to a degree in to Team Yankee. Team Yankee was a little older than what I'd actually preferred, but we were all '80s kids. We grew up with, you know, um, stripes. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yes. G.I. Joe, that was basically just sucking the cock of modern military technology. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know, you know or, or air shows. Of course, I mean, my dad was a Marine, so I was raised on all this stuff. But the thing is, though, is we were raised in that. And the glorious celebration of American military technology. Which was which, very 80s. There was, there, was a, there was a thing about sort well, of loving that thing back then. But it in the also 80s. wasn't used very much. I mean, the thing is, though, is that's the big draw of, like, of, of a game like, like Harpoon. Harpoon, yeah, Harpoon, is that essentially is, you know, all this technology stuff that's been, tons of money has been spent on it, and it's been a, a very prolific in our, you know, in our military, in our culture for a long time, that it hasn't really been tested like it was in World, World War II is the, is, was, is, you know, all the technology and the experimentation and the science of the day actually put to use. You got, and, and developed during. Yeah, exactly. This, uh, it's kind know, of rocketry developed during World War II. It's kind of amazing that I haven't played Team Yankee yet. I I served in the army during that period, and I served in Europe. That should be like that should be my jam. No, seriously, I saw the Cobra uh, Cobra attack helicopters, and I saw the A10s, and I saw the Heinz, and I saw all those things, and the the Harrier jump jets, and really, I just got turgid. It, uh, yeah, <laughs> they it were just all, so it's, cool. It's the looking. stuff we were raised on. Exactly, I mean, it's like, it was my youth. Well, they're cool models, yeah, and they're I, really cool models. I've built several of them. I just haven't used them yet. Yeah, you know, and, and I think that's the thing too. And it helps that the game is fun. So, well, yeah, there's that. The fact that's a fairly, fairly good game also really, really does that. But I think you'll have people who are interested. But I think history, though, as a general rule, does appeal to older people anyway. Exactly, because uh, yeah. you're at an age where you're looking back. Well, I think not only that is history is a gigantic cause and effect thing, because you can say this. Directly influence this, directly influence this, directly influence this. I've got a nine-year-old. He doesn't think that way. I have a 20-year-old. She doesn't think that way. No, I mean, youth looks forward. Yeah. That's the thing. It's, it's when you get to a certain age when you start analyzing, all, when you know you start figuring, I might actually have more years behind me than I got ahead oh, of me. Oh, we get it, Jim. We're old. We <laughs> we're old. And when I was in high school, I remember my buddies were playing all the Avalon Hill games, you know, mm -hmm. the World War II stuff. And I wasn't into that. I was into. I started playing Tac Force because that was like 1980s forward miniatures wargaming, and I was like, "Yeah, I want the modern stuff." But now, as I get older, I'm getting more into World War II. Finally, I'm doing it backwards. Yeah. Most people got into World War II first, 
but I, I did it back. Well, it's the most I think romantic it's, war, and that's really what it yeah, is. Yeah, it was. I think it's. I mean, it was formative for the world. Everything, everything, especially in the eighties. Everything that you know, we were experiencing in the eighties, which was you know the Cold War, the conflict of basically being murdered at any point in time through nuclear hellfire. You know, was a direct result of what happened in World War Two. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and Jim was right. It was one, one of those wars where it was a very clear, you know, these are, you know, the righteous versus the bad guys kind of yeah. thing. It was, it was a good easy thing yeah. to delineate that as opposed to, you know. Um, Wait, so the Nazis were bad? But they, they, well, you can tell because they looked the coolest. <laughs> yeah. They had the it's, snappiest It's, it's just like Star Wars. It's yeah. just like Star Wars. <laughs> or is it the other way around? Well, there's that. There is that. <laughs> but, but, you know, and so but the further you, the further on you go in time, you know, those those delineations weren't necessarily the same thing. You have... you more have modern your, era is more, gray, is more gray area. Very much so. You have your police action slash, you know, colonialism wars or domino theory wars depending on how you want to look at them really doesn't matter it's all kind of the same the thing the fight against the spread of communism which yes. actually ruined several countries and uh, I mean that was just a really dark period in our history all the way around where yeah. you know which was really sort of an extension of imperialism and and the horrors of that uh, and we're actually paying the, the price for imperialism right now um, That's why I wonder why uh, how Battlefront's Nom book is going to do. I mean, it's not a popular war. <laughs> it's not a popular war. Uh, it, it's <sighs> yeah, but 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 see, the thing is though, is if you want to game Nom, I, I, a lot of people who are at least interested in it will be able to game it without adding in. Because because the nice thing is, is is in the context of rolling dice, the politics don't necessarily need to be there. Yeah, that's true. I I because honestly, look. Nom is a. I mean, I've read extensively on Nom and that kind of stuff, and wargaming most of it doesn't appeal to me. But at the same time, I have a brown water navy force, and that sounds kind of cool. Yeah. Just to see on a table, just to play it and have a good time. That's like a lot of fun, without having to break down the implications of you know American colonialism stepping in after French colonialism slash you know this is an all cost fight against communism. Take your pick. We don't have to. We don't have to necessarily explore those. Although oh, yeah. it's like me playing the SS. I can do that without thinking about what no. horrible fucking SS. SS. Fabulous SS with their <laughs> rainbow armbands. Exactly. Oh. You so have to shout out that. to Harrison with the rainbow armbands. <laughs> oh, that needs to be a thing. That's so it's going to be a SS. thing. SS. Oh, good. We're, yeah. taking it, we're taking it back, folks. <laughs> well, shit, a half hour ago I said we were almost done, and now we're at, we're at an hour exactly. Well, I think that we're pretty yeah. much done with this. We're, we're all blowhards, sorry. Yeah. yeah. We're spent. It's getting late. It's 10.30, and we all travel tomorrow, so... Yep. Well, everybody who has a chance to check out Historicon, I highly recommend it. We had a great time. A uh, whole bunch of really neat stuff and a whole bunch of really fun people out here so and in september if you're anywhere near los angeles get to gateway on memorial day weekend yep uh labor day weekend labor day weekend april 31st to september 3rd april 31st i'm august (laughs) August. it starts with a look it's late i had beer never august just yeah figure it out okay www.strategicon.net yeah we'll give you all the answers that you we'll need. all be there and we're fun guys and we'll be playing games and tons I'll, of events i'll be selling shit and it'll all be good managers role playing and uh everything in between okay that's about it everybody say goodbye 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 see ya and i can't end a podcast without saying keep on gaming <laughs>